We welcome you into another episode of Automotive Insiders. I'm Jason Stein, host of SiriusXM's Cars and Culture on Business Channel 132. There are several significant issues facing suppliers today. Some are more omnipresent than others, but both could have an enormous impact on future performance and supplier capabilities going forward. The first is an obvious one. The UAW Detroit 3 labor talks aren't just the material for good consumer headlines. The risks are significant for suppliers who could be caught in the middle of the negotiations and a potential long strike. With those strikes looming, how could suppliers prepare for a work stoppage? And what are the complications as a strike hits during that inactivity period? And what happens after a strike ends? The other significant movement is perhaps less talked about, but concerns an Airboss decision by the Michigan Supreme Court, which clarified the world of blanket orders. The Airboss decision highlights the importance of contracting to match your intent, as well as understanding your contract terms. For decades, automotive contracting has been done on blanket orders with releases to follow. Now the Supreme Court clarified that quantities must be included in contracts. That's a significant move and signals the end of a one-way street for suppliers. Today on Automotive Insiders, we discuss both events and the impact on the supply base. We talk the UAW and blanket orders with an expert in the field. Homayun Gauzi is a partner at Warner, Norcross, and Judd. It's contract talks from two different angles, today on Automotive Insiders. Well, welcome into Automotive Insiders. It is wonderful to have you, Homayun. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Excellent. Uh, lots in the news, lots for us to cover. And I think probably primarily it's important for us to focus on the number one item that that everyone is talking about right now, of course, as we as we head into the latter part of this week and the effects of the or possible effects of a looming UAW strike. Let's talk about the strikes and the effect it could have on suppliers down the chain and what you're seeing. Sure. I think that's exactly right. That's what on, is on top of mind for uh, pretty much everyone right now in, uh, in the auto industry. What exactly are you watching most closely? So we, um, you know, at Warner, what we do is we work with suppliers mainly, and we, um, our clients are watching to see what happens as far as which uh, OEM may be hit with a strike uh, and how that will affect their supply, uh, you know, both the, the supply that they have to the OEM or perhaps to a tier one or tier two that they're supplying to that goes to the OEM and also uh, what they will need to do with their own supply base and their own employees, et cetera, during a strike. Um, so right now we are mainly in the watch phase to see uh, what may happen and in the preparation phase of uh, reviewing contracts, reviewing laws that relate to employment, et cetera, um, to make sure that our clients are ready uh, to face whatever may come with the strike. And when you think about suppliers being in a rather precarious position, given given all of the effects that could occur, what are what are top of mind um, impacts that you're most worried about? So top of mind is you know what will happen to the supply base. Uh, you know mm-hmm. a lot of our uh, these suppliers um, are getting parts from smaller suppliers down the line, right? And some of those suppliers may not be able to withstand a long um, stoppage in supply, a long stoppage in basically shutting down production, not working. So it's really important to. Uh, 
um, understand your supply base before this hits. Um, try to understand your contracts before this hits to see what your obligations are, what you what your rights are with your suppliers um, and your customers to be able to then um, once if the strike hits, as everyone is expecting, it probably will. Uh, what they can do to alleviate the um, the effects of that strike. Can you move people around? Can you have, you know, production shift from one thing to another to keep going? Um, or what you do with your labor force so you don't lose them at a time when labor is not easy to find. And the contracts will, in fact, dictate, I know you believe this, what can happen with orders when the strikes hit and also what happens during the strike or after it ends. Let's walk through each one of those scenarios. When you think about the strike hitting, what's your best advice to suppliers? So the best advice is to, you know, watch for your contracts and your orders. Um, most of con- most of the contracts in the automotive industry are what are called requirements contracts. You basically are supplying whatever your customers' needs are. Uh, if the strike hits, those needs essentially stop to some extent. Um, so you have to see, you know, if those needs stop, then what are your contracts with your suppliers? Can you stop your purchasing from your own suppliers? Um, and what you know, what can you do um, as you are not supplying to your customers? What happens with your orders to your suppliers? And how do you keep the basically the machines oiled so that when the strike ends, you can pick back up? Because the expectation from the OEMs will likely be that you pick back up and supply what they need. Are you going to be able to do that? And are your suppliers going to be able to do that? And then the main thing there is look at your contracts. What can you require your suppliers to do? Can you require them to build a bank? Can you require them to be ready to take up that um, production when it's necessary? And can you stop your orders without any liability or concern? What happens during the strike, especially if a strike lasts weeks or longer? Well, essentially what we expect, uh, and this is the expectation, that the orders from the OEMs will stop. Right. It has to to some extent. Um, assuming that those orders stop, uh, the orders from our suppliers to their supply base will need to stop. And the expectation is, what do you do with your employees? Do you put them on furlough? Do you lay them off? Um, do you pay them some portion? Do you not pay them? Uh, what do you do to keep your labor force intact for when this ends? But also, um, how do you communicate to your suppliers that supply is stopping, but it's not stopping forever. It needs to stop for a certain amount of time, an unknown amount of time, um, and that they need to be ready to pick back up. It's similar to uh, a couple of years ago when COVID hit. The only issue is COVID hit, um, everyone stopped. There were governmental orders that shut down production. Um, so you didn't have to do too much. But you also, at that point, we also communicated with supply bases to say, to make sure that the supply base knew, um, you know, that orders would pick back up and you'd need to be ready to supply. So it's going to be um, a bit of logistics management, um, but also making sure that that works within your contract framework. And there are also some key questions in here too, right? Uh, Do you need to build a bank of parts to prepare for a restart? And probably most importantly, can you require your suppliers to do so? Right, exactly. And that's that's going to be exactly in your contracts. Your contract terms should provide for whether you can do that, whether you can order your suppliers to build a bank. As I said, most of these contracts are requirements contracts. Typically in a requirements contract, you can only order what your requirements are, but 
most terms and conditions do include the ability for the supplier, for the buyer to order a bank of parts for situations like this. Some terms and conditions actually require that there be a safety stock in place. Um, and that safety stock may come um, into use at a point like this when production ramps back up because production production can't ramp back up to full speed on day one when the strike ends, right? So it has to be gradual and you have to be able to manage that and you have to be able to plan for that ahead of time in order to be able to manage for it. What do you advise or what are the questions that suppliers should be thinking about when we think about a strike ending? Uh, I think they should be thinking about um, their ability to supply when that ends. Um, and have they placed appropriate orders with their suppliers to do so? What are the lead times for their products, right? Um, are these products coming, the, the, their suppliers' products, are they coming from China, from Mexico, from overseas, elsewhere? Uh, are the raw materials, have? do they have lead times that require you to place the orders ahead of time? Um, and what type of lead time do you need to ramp back up? Um, and what does your contract allow for in terms of lead time to ramp back up to? Interesting. Let's talk about a different issue, one that is perhaps just as topical, but explain to me the Airboss decision by the Michigan Supreme Court and the clarification of the blanket orders term. Sure. So uh, the Michigan Supreme Court in July came out with a decision in the Airboss case um, and, you know, to be fully frank, our uh, firm, three of my partners uh, represented Airbus in that case. Um, the Michigan Supreme Court essentially clarified what has been used in the auto industry and some other industries for decades um, to order parts. And this is blanket orders uh, for many years, for decades. If someone said that you had a blanket order, they would look at that as a contract. Uh, and believe that that blanket order required the supplier to supply and the buyer to buy. And the Michigan Supreme Court in the Airbus decision looked more closely at that and said, you know, it, whether it's a blanket order or other order, your contract that is the order uh, must have a quantity term under the Uniform Commercial Code. So the quantity term must be included in there in order for uh, the supplier to be obligated to supply and the buyer to be obligated to buy. Uh, and the essential holding of the Airbus decision is that you can't have a blanket order where you require your supplier to purchase, to supply to you, but there's no obligation um, or no indication of what the buyer must buy from the supplier. So what to do now? What are you advising clients that they should be concerned about? The main thing that we're looking at with clients is we're looking at the client's terms and conditions to make sure that they comply with their boss, that purchase orders comply with their boss. Um, because this is also an opening. The past few years, we've seen a lot of price increase requests um, and other types of demands from the supply base. And to the extent that you have a uh, purchase order and set of terms and conditions that under Airbus do not obligate uh, long-term obligations for the buyer or the supplier, that opens the door for the supplier to essentially charge what they want. That's what the Airbus decision, the case was. The case involved Airbus wanting to charge a higher price. The customer said no. Uh, what the Supreme Court said is that your obligations are limited to the releases that are issued and the releases that are accepted. Beyond that, the terms are open essentially to renegotiate. 
So right now we are advising clients to check their contracts on both sides with your buyers and your suppliers uh, to make sure that they have the right terms to be a binding contract for the long term, if that's what you want. If you don't want that, then you need to make sure that the terms are compared to what you do want, if you want a short term or um, you know, a different type of obligation. And you have some other advice too, some final advice. If your contracts or terms and conditions have some failings, there's an issue about how to go about making changes without causing upheaval within your supply chain, right? Right, absolutely. And you can't, you know, it's going to be a nuanced, um, strategic type of endeavor to change your terms. Um, Because right now, this is top of mind for a lot of people, a lot of suppliers. Uh, And I think a lot of suppliers are going to be looking for revised terms from their buyers. So if terms start changing, that's an opportunity potentially for the supplier to reject a purchase order that comes with that change terms. And that's all depends on the exact terms that you have. Some terms and conditions allow you to change it without issuing a new purchase order. Some require a new purchase order, et cetera. But essentially, if you are not careful, you could end up when you change the terms, you could end up opening the door to those suppliers coming to you for the requests that they want. All kinds of activity to be watching for these days. Oh, my Yoon, it's there is no shortage of supplier. Well, there always is some supplier um, obstacles to overcome. But thank you for laying out the pathway to at least these two major issues. We'll be watching both very closely. Of course, of course. Yeah. Thank you for being Happy. a guest on the program. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That's this episode of Automotive Insiders. Remember to follow the program wherever your favorite podcast appears. Thanks for listening to the program. I'm Jason Stein. We'll talk again next time. Mm -hmm.